welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hi there, everybody. I'm back. And today I have a very special guest with me, Amy Stein. And Amy works with women who carry the highly sensitive trait and assist them with reconnecting to their body's innate intelligence using Mother Nature as a guide. She finds that when we awaken to our inner light and wisdom, we can sync the mind with the body and spirit. Amy combines the power of plants along with energy medicine techniques and breath work to allow women to live in harmony with their bodies and environments. Welcome, Amy. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks, Jennifer. I'm really happy to be here and have this conversation with you. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. And everything in your bio, I'm like, yep, yep, (laughs) yep. (laughs) I was saying before we jumped on, to this session, um, or before we turned on the recording, that is, to Amy, that before she reached out to me about being on my podcast, I happened to find a YouTube video of hers that was talking about processing rose hips. Pretty sure that was what it was, but I remember running across her video for herbal information, and uh, it feels like it's just like an absolute synchronicity and divine appointment because, you know, for that to happen and then for Amy to show up again, it's sort of like the universe is like, we need to have this conversation. (laughs) So I'm so glad you're here. So Amy, I always love to start at the beginning about just like, how did you know you were sensitive? How did you know and do you identify as an empath and what was it like as a kid? All that stuff. So tell us a little bit about, you know, where did you come from? What's your story? Yeah. So to answer your question, I was always sensitive. It was labeled as a bad thing growing up. I remember, yeah, yeah, like ever, ever since I can remember back to my childhood, it was always, you're too sensitive. You worry too much. You feel too much you know, you're just doing too much and you need to stop. And if you stopped, it would be better. But I didn't know how to stop, right? Mm -hmm. It just felt all consuming. I could feel people's emotions. I could feel the moods. I could feel the shifts. I could feel things so much and I was internalizing it in my body. So I always had stomach aches. I always had headaches. My body always hurt. I was always tired, right? I was that kid and I still do this as an adult. Like I'm in bed by 8.30 because Mm. I'm just exhausted, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I didn't understand what that meant. And it was always a joke with my friends like, oh, you can't go out. You got to go to sleep because you're tired. And <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know what that meant. So throughout my childhood, throughout my teenage years, my early adulthood years, I just the message of you're too sensitive kept coming through. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand how to be any different. Right. I tried to fit in. I tried to do all the things like everybody else. But it was a struggle. It didn't feel good. And it exhausted me more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, in everything you are saying, it's like, welcome to the club. Like Mm -hmm. we we should have like, we should have the two sensitive club because (laughs) if there is one thing that every single one of my guests says, and every single one of my clients say, every single student says is the message of from the time we were little, little kids, we have been told we are too sensitive. And it's just amazing to me. Like, 
how damn, how, how frequent this is. Like mm-hmm. I literally cannot think of anybody I've spoken to who hasn't gotten this message, but then also just like, what an absolute, like how deeply does that affect our soul yeah. when we're being told the problem is you and mm-hmm. you just need to fix yourself. Mm-hmm. But we don't have, I mean, it's, it's such a setup for failure. If yeah. what's going on is you're picking up everybody else's stuff. And I totally hear you about, you, you know, they're telling you stop worrying, just let it go. Don't, you know, don't, don't go into it. Right. But you're like, how am I even going to do this? Right. Yeah. Because nobody understood it. Right. So like you're saying, nobody knew how to teach me any differently. Mm-mm. So I had to conform to what was normal. Right. Because I was too much. I was too much of everything. I was too sensitive. I talked too much because I was trying to verbalize what I was experiencing and I didn't know how to. And so it was hard for me to find words, right? That I didn't want to wear these clothes. I didn't want to eat this food. I didn't want to be around these people. And my parents, they didn't understand it. So they thought I used it as an attention grab, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, you're just, you know, it's just attention. You're trying to get attention. So you always have a stomach ache. You don't feel good. You know, uh, my nickname was Sarah Bernhardt. Oh, here goes Sarah Bernhardt. I didn't know idea what that was. You know, I'm going to be 40. I didn't know who Sarah Bernhardt was, but Mm. that was, I was always, you're too, you know, complaining too much. You are feeling too much. You're too sensitive. And this theme was mirrored to me by my family. It was mirrored to me by the doctors when I would complain that there was something going on. And, you know, the blood work didn't show anything, right? But Mm -hmm. as I now know that if you're not running the correct panels, it's not going to show anything. And the body has an innate intelligence that will bring up signs and symptoms before anything will show up on blood work. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, we're taught to not listen to the body, that the body is broken, mm-hmm. that these messages the body is sending you are false. Mm-hmm. They need to be stopped. They need to be quieted. So mm-hmm. we're going to just throw medication at it. We're not going to wonder why this is happening. Right. And a lot of, a lot of suggestion to me was take this antidepressant, take this anti-anxiety medication. Take, you know, it was always a pill. I have right. a pill. This is your solution. Right. And I was raised that the doctor is right. And you listen to your doctor and your doctor is going to fix you. Right. So I did all those things and I got sicker and I had more symptoms and a lot of things got worse. The vivid dreams got worse. I wound up having nosebleeds. I, so all these physical symptoms were manifesting even more so on these, these pills that were supposed to fix me. Mm. And I felt worse. I felt worse emotionally. I felt worse physically. I felt worse mentally because again, no one was listening to me. Right, right. I wasn't being seen, heard, or believed. And this theme followed me through adulthood. And it kind of the, the crux of it is when I was working with chronic pain patients in my mid to late 20s, and I began to resemble my patients. Mm, mm. And I thought, what's happening? Is this like when you're in medical school and you think you have all these diseases, right? Like all these rare diseases. Why is this happening? I'm working with geriatrics. These people are, you know, 60, 70. And I'm in my late 20s and I'm having the exact same symptoms as them. What's going on? I didn't mm. understand it. And when I would talk to the doctors, they, it was the same response. You're stressed. You have anxiety. You're de- So it's making you depressed. So you should go to a therapist and you should take this pill. But the issue in that is that it was a message of I was broken. There right. was, again, something wrong with me. I needed to be right. sick. Right. And God forbid I do it myself. No, I need to go to the doctor to have them fix me. Right. And so it was this whole idea, this 
false beliefs continually being reaffirmed where I kept questioning what is happening. Maybe I'm going crazy. Mm. Maybe I am losing my mind because Mm. this is the message that keeps being reaffirmed to me. And so it was a really scary time. It got to the point where I became completely disabled. I could not get out of bed. I could not leave my house. I had daily migraines that were crippling, daily vertigo, crippling, daily GI symptoms, crippling. I was having such severe brain fog that I couldn't find words to speak. So then I thought I had a brain tumor. I was like, what, what is going on? And I went on this merry-go-round for about five years of seeing all these specialists, all these doctors, getting all these diagnoses that were not correct, that were very rare and archaic because they did not fit into the boxes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No one mentioned trauma. No one mentioned you know, being highly sensitive. No one mentioned being empathic. Nobody mentioned lifestyle changes, ways to cope with what was happening. Like none of this was discussed. It was right. just, you're broken. Take this pill. We don't know what's wrong with you. Come back when it's worse. Right, right, right. And they're just scratching their head. I have a friend who, my friend, um, a Carrie Mitchell, I've interviewed her before on this show. And Carrie went through a um, a Lyme journey where she has what she refers to as her 10 lost years. Yeah. And I, and, and it's just, and I'll just say it is amazing to me how the allopathic medical world tends to compartmentalize things so down to like the heart is separate from the intestine Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the intestine is separate from the, from the nervous system and the nervous system is separate from the bone, from the bone structure. And that you can't, you know, just like, there's just so much of like, they look so individually or especially, you know, that they don't look at the whole picture. Yep. And it it blows my mind because as somebody who tends to look at the whole picture mm-hmm. all the time, I'm like, well, of course, this is going to be affecting this and this is exactly. going to be affecting this and this is going to be affecting this. You know, well, of course, you're going to have nausea and, and inflammation and all of these other things. Like, yeah, why wouldn't you? This is what's going on. And yet the doctors are like, beats me. I have no right. idea what it is. Right. Yeah, I cannot even imagine. I mean, you're supposed to be in your, you know, kind of like in the beginning of like adulthood and mm-hmm. exploring the world and experimenting and discovering and all these wonderful things. And you're going to bed by 830 at night, if not earlier, and just debilitated with headaches and stomach aches and body pain. And it just that sounds like an and brain fog. I, you know, I'm no stranger to brain fog as a chronic Lyme person myself, and mm-hmm. also a concussion survivor, right. um, you know, and and autoimmune stuff. I'm yeah. no stranger to it. And I right. just brain fog is in some ways the exhaustion in the brain fog for me personally is like sometimes the hardest thing because yeah. it's like you can kind of suck it up and ignore physical pain. Yes. But when your brain's not working and exactly. you're so exhausted, you cannot lift your head off the pillow. Yeah. It's just like it, it, it makes life really hard. Yeah, so, you can't do like, you can't do normal survival things, right? Like no. I couldn't cook. I almost burned the house down numerous times where my mm. husband was like, you're not allowed to cook if I'm not home because you forget to turn off the oven. You know, like you forget to, you leave the stove on, like all these things because I couldn't, my body was desperate for me to listen to it. And, and the statistics of this is, you know, being a fellow autoimmune person is that it takes on average 10 years and 20 doctors to get a diagnosis. Mm, mm-hmm. And so it took me till I was, I think, uh, 33 
to get like correct diagnoses. Mm -hmm. So I'd been struggling my whole life. And I was told my whole life, my panels were normal. There was nothing wrong with me. Take this pill. Right. Like my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. The frustration and demoralization of that, the, the disgust with the medical field, it also creates another level of trauma Mm -hmm. to the body to mm-hmm. the mind, to the nervous system, right? So trauma doesn't just affect the nervous system. It affects every single system. So at my worst, along with all these daily migraines, daily vertigo, daily GI issues, right? I was at 85 pounds. So I'm five Forbes, 85 pounds with two broken feet being oh shuttled to doctors goodness. who still said there was nothing wrong with me. Mm. Because Mm. it was an ego thing, right? If I can't figure it out, I can't be wrong because I'm a doctor. I went to medical school. So Mm. it must be something with you. You're not compliant. Right. You're you're questioning me because I would go in and say, I read this medical journal. You know, do you think I have Lyme? Do you think I have Hashimoto's? Do you, and they're like, stop, stop checking Google. I'm like, I'm on Google. I'm reading medical journals. The things you should be reading, but you're not because you don't have time to read them, right? Because our medical system is broken and, and nobody talks about. what it feels like to be that patient. And I had been advocating for my own patients. And then I was experiencing it. And I thought, oh my God, I did not give these people the compassion that they deserved. Mm -hmm. Because now I know what it feels like to be in this lost system that is broken, that no one is hearing me, nobody's seeing me, no one's believing me. And I'm all alone, right? I had been recently married when this all happened. And as you said, like literally I lost 10 years of my life. So I'll be 40 this month. And I really feel like I should only be 30 because I lost 10 years of my life to this experience. And the, this experience, the empathic and highly sensitive traits got so much stronger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, it was, it well, like a detriment, like, oh my God, now this, now I can't leave my house. I'm scared to leave my house because I don't know what I'm going to feel. Mm. I don't know what's going to affect me with the EMFs, with the Wi-Fi, with smart meters, like, you know, all these other variables started to come into play. I knew I had an issue with mold. I knew I was in a moldy house, right? I was wondering, I was going to, I was, I kept thinking as you were talking, I'm like, I'm smelling mold on you. And I was like, and nosebleeds. I mean, Mm -hmm. and I'm not a doctor or I play one on TV. I just have a lot of experience around some of these things. And nosebleeds, as soon as you said, you kept on having nosebleeds, I'm like mold, mold. And and mold is, oh, I, I just, uh, I, I had interviewed a woman, Magic Barclay, a couple of months ago, uh, it was live. And um, that interview, Magic is a, a healer and, and a practitioner in Australia, but one of her specialties is mold toxicity. Yes. And it is, I mean, it's like you, it's a silent killer. You don't yes. even know it's there. Yes. And it, but it can completely devastate your yep. entire life. So, yes. oh. So you're in a moldy house. Yeah. So, well, I live on an island, right? So I Mm -hmm. live on an island. So it's moldy 24 seven. So I grew up in a moldy house. I knew I had mold sensitivities. I got allergy shots. They never worked, right? So like Mm -hmm. we went through the traditional route. My parents tried to do what they could, what they knew. And then when I, when we bought this house, I knew there was mold. And my husband, you know, because only 20% of the population can smell it and is affected by it, right? Right. Or yeah. like knows that they're affected by it, where 80% of the population has no idea. So my husband is part of that 80%. He had no idea. He couldn't smell it. He, you know, he's an engineer. He does mold remediation at jobs. Um, but you know, most buildings are sick buildings. Right. Dr. Shoemaker talks about this. Richie Shoemaker, he develops a lot of mold protocols and so does yes. Dr. Horowitz. So like 
I was working in a university, a government building, right? Before that. So like there was always mold. It was always mm-hmm. an ever-present thing. And so then I developed mast cell activation, but no one knew about that until I got to a functional doctor, mm-hmm. right? And that was corresponding with multiple chemical sensitivities, which is why, you know, hypersensitive to electromagnetic frequencies that are false, not natural like the earth. So all of these things were basically bombarding me in a way that I couldn't leave my house because my house was killing me. Mm. Mm. Right. So like you're in this paradigm of like, oh, my God, I can't leave my house to get better. But my house is making me sick as well. Right. Right. So it's this this really nasty situation. And again, no credence in the in the allopathic system is given to that. No. No, it's all if you can't see it, it doesn't exist. Right. Right, Just like with energy medicine, if you can't see it, it's not real. So and I was raised in that. I that was, you know, as a medical researcher, you had to see it to believe it. You know, this Mm -hmm. stuff we don't see that's woo woo doesn't exist. And so being on that merry ground for about five years, I got to the point where I said enough, I'm not doing this anymore. I had gone to, you know, over 40 doctors. And again, Mm -hmm. I live in New York. So I I went to the top of the top. I didn't go, you know, like I don't live in the middle of nowhere. I have access to healthcare, but we spent lots of money. I got lots of tests that were unnecessary and then lots of, like I said, diagnoses that were not correct or were just really archaic. And it got to the point where I said, enough, I'm not doing this anymore. And I had to sit my family down and my husband down and say, "I'm, I'm not, I did it your way. It did not work. If anything, I got sicker. And if I'm meant to die, I'm going to die and it will be on my terms. Because I was at that point where I was dying. Mm -hmm. And so I began to make changes on my own. I had already been making changes to my diet. I'd been eliminating chemicals from the house. I had been, you know, we bought a water filter. We started filtering the air because people don't realize the air inside is dirtier than the air outside. Right. And again, I live in mold. So (laughs) we remediated the house numerous times. We rebuilt the house completely all over again. Mm. And I still, you know, so we're spending all this money and I'm still not getting better. Right. And so it was the frustration of I'm doing all the things. Why is it not working? Why is this experience getting more pronounced? Why are, why are more symptoms occurring? Why are more things happening that I don't understand? And it was because I was missing that mind body connection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I was mm-hmm. still just doing everything in my mind. I was right. still manic healing of let me do all the things. Right, right, right. Well, and it's interesting because I came first to the emotional healing work and sort of dealing with the mental health and the, the emotional side of things. And it was understanding the physical equation and making the physical shifts that really were sort of one of the next steps for me. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's sort of one of the things I'm really hearing in this is that we, it is that it really is this integrated process where we need to acknowledge both the, we need to acknowledge the mental health, the empathic sensitivity, yes. the, the trauma that yeah. so frequently is impacting us. And yes. as you were saying, medical trauma, I mean, I also, I mean, for me, I was the first time somebody said, hmm, it looks like you've got a goiter about my thyroid. I was 19 or 20 years old. I was not diagnosed with thyroid disease until I was in my late 40s. Yeah. I went for years and years and years living Mm -hmm. with people saying, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. Your mm-hmm. blood work is fine. Mm-hmm. You're just, you know, like, oh, so go to bed earlier. <laughs> you know, right, like, right. 
And um, manage your stress better. Yeah. But I, but at the same time, I mean, I can't even count the number of blood draws I've had in my life, you know, and the bad, I mean, I certainly have some phlebotomy trauma from bad phlebotomists and stuff. And like, it's, and if you think about that saying, you know, sort of the death by a thousand cuts, Mm -hmm. it's like these little microaggressions and these little tiny and these, these constant perpetual invalidations, this stuff gets in, It, Mm -hmm. it affects us. So, but I am just really struck by thinking about how important it is to both deal with the physical as well, you know, deal with the emotional as well as the physical. But also if you've been dealing with the emotional and it's not, de- and it's not shifting, maybe mm-hmm. looking at the physical as well. But so, so everything, so you guys had remediated the house, had done all this work. I've actually got a friend who's currently living in the their camper because yeah. their house is and they live near water, yeah. but their, their house is moldy. And, uh, I mean, and, and let's not even go down the rabbit hole of how expensive it is to, mm-hmm. remediate, to remediate. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but, you have to throw everything out. Yeah. So we had to throw everything out. And my husband is, <laughs> does not like to throw things out. So he would save things. And I'm like, you're, you're going to make me sick again. Right. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it's a constant pras- pras- practice because we live on, we live on the water. So we have to constantly remediate. I'm constantly checking the humidity of the house. I'm constantly looking to see if I see anything, if I smell anything. There are areas of the house I still do not go in because there's still mold growth. And we can't can't get it to stop because it's a natural progression Mm -hmm. of living where we live. The thing is, is that people don't understand. And this I found with my research is that mold and EMFs will play off each other. Mm -hmm. So the stronger the EMF frequency, the more mold growth there'll be. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was already sensitive to mold. And then you throw EMFs onto it because you can't avoid that now. Right. So yeah. they're smart. Everyone has a smart, smart meter. Meters. Right. Everyone has, you know, wants 5G. They want to use their cell phone. You know, so I'm, we did everything we could. You know, we have grounding rods. We've got uh, EMF protection built in. I'm hardwired on this computer. I don't put my cell phone to my head. I don't use my cell phone a lot. I use mm-hmm. it basically for texting. If I talk on it, I use like an old 1985. <laughs> phone cord that goes into it, right? So like, yeah, so all of these, these were all things we had to discover on our own. There was no class, there was nobody talking about it. These are all things that I had to research and tell my husband, like, this is important, we need to pay attention to this. And for someone that, you know, he doesn't feel it, he didn't believe me either. This is crazy. We're spending all this money. We're doing all these things. It's going to come, mold's going to come back. We live on an island. And I'm like, I can't, I'm going to die. Like we need to decide here what's important. So you have to make a lot of hard decisions. And when you're not supported, you create, like you said, the wounds. So whether they're emotional wounds or physical wounds, protectors come out, right? So my protectors were hardcore. I was aggressive, right? You're not going to believe me. I'm going to make you believe me, Mm -hmm. right? If you're not going to, you know, if you're not going to listen to what I have to say, I'm going to make you listen to it. I'm going to prove that I'm right. Um, I would also, you know, play the victim. You don't know what it feels like to live this way. You know, I would not wish this on my worst enemy. So all of these wounds were resurfacing. I was getting triggered more. And I was like, what is happening? I thought I was doing the work, but I was still missing that spirit connection. Mm -hmm. So when I began to start practicing plant medicine, it was really kind of like serendipitous, just like our conversation in that my gram had passed away and my parents were going through some of her things. And my dad came across these books on plant medicine. Mm. 
And this was when I had decided I wasn't going to go conventional route anymore. I was going to do my own thing and all that stuff. My dad said, do you want this book? I said, I think I do. And the universe literally the next day sent me an herbalism webinar. And it was like an herbalism training. Then it was, you know, this summit about herbalism. You know, it was all these things. So, you know, (laughs) 10, 12 years ago, there were no summits. Yeah. There were no podcasts, right? It was like, but the functional medicine arena was just really coming to be. Mm-hmm. And so Amy Myers was the functional doctor who did the first summit like 10 years ago. I bought it and everyone she had on there, I read their books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, the library is free. So I'm going to read when I can, when my brain is functioning, I'm going to take notes and I'm going to I'm gonna start guinea pigging myself. I'm not going to let the doctors guinea pig me anymore. I'm going to guinea pig myself and take some control back. Right. Yeah. So that's the other thing is like, we give our control away. We give our power away to these people who we think can help us. Right. The lesson is that you have it within you. I just didn't believe it. Right. right. I didn't believe that I could do it myself. You'd been, you had been receiving all this information saying you shouldn't trust yourself, that you're broken and we internalize it. And I have two questions. One question is just, what was the book? What was that book? That first book? What was the herbal book? It was like herbs for, for healing for women, something like that. I have it in my bookcase. Oh, and cool. it was, yeah. And I was reading it and I was fascinated by all these, you know, cause I'm a gardener. I was already a gardener to begin with. I, I grew up, we had a garden. We, you know, grew food in the summertime. You know, my grandparents grew their own food. Like it was a thing that I knew, right? My mom and I always gardened. So I was fascinated that all these plants I already had planted on my property had medicinal value. And the thing about it is your body recognizes it because it's not artificial. Yes. So it's, it's a natural connection, right? Oh, I recognize this plant to help me to revitalize the system, to revitalize this organ, to revitalize and remove these symptoms, right? Rather than this pill that is artificially created, that's filled with chemicals, the body doesn't recognize it. It's just another toxin. Right. So it was fascinating that I could make my own medicine. So I began making tinctures and herbal oils and my own bombs. And I began healing a lot of my symptoms. Mm, and mm. I, I got some of my power back, right? Because I did it myself. Look what I mean. Look what I created. Working with Mother Nature, mm. allowing her to support me. Because even though the idea of energy medicine at that point was still foreign to me, I could understand. I could see the plants, right? They were tangible. I could touch them. I could talk to them. I could, I could be open to the wisdom that they shared with me. And so it, that's how I began to understand energy medicine was through the plants. Yeah, yeah. Well, and one of the theories or things that I teach in terms of empathic mastery is I, I talk about how empathic sensitivity manifests from the perspective of four, the five elements of, mm-hmm. of air, fire, water, spirit, you know, earth and spirit. And, and an earth empath, you know, is like often will pick it picking the distress and expressing it through their body. Yes. And so it's like headaches, stomach aches, mm-hmm. physical health issues. Whereas like a water empath is more of the classic perception of the empath who's like very emotional and feeling all the feelings and really emotionally overwhelmed. But what I, something, um, one of my students actually literally asked this question yesterday where they were like, do you think when it comes to sort of the idea of being, having having sort of an elemental 
composition in terms of your empathic expression that also that that the element that is sort of the 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 sort of the present the way it manifests is also mm. the element that would be the way that we heal it yes and i think sometimes it's like the opposite is like if you have for example somebody who's very a fire empath very kinetic empath mm-hmm. very physical empath sometimes a bath like a water you know yes. water is going to be a good good solution or going swimming or something i love how you intuitively as somebody who's manifesting your empathic distress on a very earth plane mm-hmm. very physical visceral level that you you're called to the plants like that the earth is your healer it's yeah. it's it so you your this conversation is literally answering a question that came up yesterday so that yeah. i think that's really cool yeah again it's it's just all synchronicity right absolutely absolutely yes i mean that was and it was really powerful to me because because it gave me back some control mm-hmm. and I felt like, well, maybe, maybe I could do something for myself that would be beneficial. Right. So I kept going on that route, but I was still kind of in that idea of more, more is more, let's just keep doing more. But mm-hmm. actually that's not the case. Mm-hmm. More is less. And so it was still this manic healing of, I was trying to do all the things, right? So I was trying to rewire my brain to get rid of the trauma. I was doing, you know, EMDR, but I would, she was in a moldy building. So I was getting traumatized, right? (laughs) Every time I was going, I was getting re-traumatized and I'm like, this is not working. And I knew more than she did. And I was teaching her so she could teach me. And I'm like, this is not. This is Mm -mm. not working. Mm -mm. And so these examples kept coming up of these people that were supposed to be helping me. I was helping them. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this is not working. I can't can't keep helping other people. It's depleting me more. And so that was when I decided. So my yoga teacher at the time, I really couldn't do a lot. I would just go for the community aspect. And I really, really enjoyed her. And she would take time after class and just sit with me. She knew I was struggling. She knew I was trying to do all the things. She had she had known me through the trajectory. She met me when I had two broken feet. And so she would sit with me after class and we would talk. And she said to me one day, what if you had the idea of surrender being the word? Right? And mm-hmm. I was like, what does that mean? And she said, I said, to me, that means giving up. Surrender is giving up and I'm not a quitter, right? Like I'm, I'm not going to quit this. I'm not, I, I'm not ready to give up. And she said, no, it's about giving over. Mm-hmm. It's about asking for help. And that was really like a, a novel concept to me. I wasn't raised religious. I wasn't raised spiritual. I didn't understand it again, right? I had to see it to believe it. So to me, I was like, what does that look like? What is that you know, feel like. So I was already working with the plant. So I thought, okay, well, I could surrender over to mother nature, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To mother Gaia, to the goddess, I could surrender over to her and ask her for help. And then I, what would happen, what was really powerful is I would be sitting in introspection. I would be doing breath work. And I was at that time still using breath work to escape from my physical body. Mm-hmm. I was not using it as a connection. Mm-hmm. I was using it as an escape mm-hmm. because I was in pain. I was still feeling things I didn't want to feel. I did not have the skill set yet to handle my childhood trauma. So I would be sitting in introspection and I would get these ideas of what plants to put together for certain formulas. And I would just be writing things down. And then I would look after to research them. And I'd be like, yeah, that would work. That's interesting. So the plants began to speak to me. Mother Gaia started to send me information that was helpful, not just for me, but for other people, because I would share these 
these formulas that I made with people after they were done and they were like, Oh my God, this is, this works. What did you, how did you do this? I'm like, I don't really know. It was, you know, (laughs) and I didn't know I was channeling. I had no idea that's what it was, right? I had no idea this is what it was. I just knew like, this was really cool that this was working out. The plants were talking to me. And if I had an issue, I'd go outside. Right. And so I talked to people about foraging, eating your weeds. So the issues that you have, I guarantee what you need is growing as a weed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so rather than putting more chemicals down and poisoning Mother Earth, why don't you thank her for the abundance? Right, right? Right. Thank you for the gifts that she provides. So I eat my weeds. I forage. Right. I teach other people to eat their weeds as well. Mm-hmm. And I, there I see the value in it. And so as I moved along the trajectory of plant medicine, it brought me to energy medicine. I was more receptive to the idea. I began to learn how I could shift my energy, move my energy in my body, right? How I could ask for for something bigger than me that I could not see to assist me in this process, you know, to give me insights, to give me answers. And I began to listen to that small voice that we all have, Mm -hmm. that voice that had been told ever since I was little, you're too much. Stop, stop feeling everything. Stop being too sensitive. Stop doing all the things, right? I began to honor that voice. And what would happen if I listened to you? I've done everything else. Didn't work, right? Right. But this this did start to work. And every time I listened to that voice, it led me in the correct direction. Every time I listened to my mind, I wound up regressing or having more trauma or having more emotional wounds or physical wounds or, or whatnot, right? More symptoms. But every time I listened and honored that small voice, it got a little louder. I was able to tune out the voice in my head more. So you talk about the voice Mm -hmm. and about the mind. And I'm wondering, how would you distinguish or discern which is which? That's a great question. So what I tell people, I remind them that the mind is just part of the body and that the mind was designed to keep us safe, that maybe a false belief system. And so when I listen to the mind, it's usually from a place of fear. It's usually a voice that's telling me you can't do something, right? It's usually not a positive voice. Mm -hmm. It's usually Mm -hmm. a voice that's trying to keep me safe, right? As it's designed. But when I listen to the intuition for the voice from my body, from the innate wisdom that exists there, it's always loving. It's always kind. It's always positive. It's always validating. It's always affirming to me. It feels good. Do you feel it coming from different parts of yourself? Like literally as you're, you know, like, does it feel when you're in, you know, when you're in your head, it's like literally you can feel it in your head versus when the wisdom is coming, it's coming from a different part of your body? Yeah. I, what I, for me personally, when my, when I'm listening to my mind too much, I get a migraine. Mm. Like I get a physical representation of get out of your mind. Cause you're, mm-hmm. you're making the migraine happen. Cause you're, you're trying to do all the things, right. I've got my doer. I've got my protector. I, you know, I've got to stay busy. I've got to do manic healing, doing all the things, right. That monkey mind. But when I'm in my body and I'm respecting the innate intelligence of the body, mind quiets yes. and the mind kind of goes offline. Right. So it's what people get with meditation, but because I had a lot of childhood trauma, I could not meditate. My body knew it wasn't safe for me to meditate. Yeah. Right. Yes. And so people don't, nobody talks about that. So no, it's, 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 there are, it's few like, people, why can't you meditate? What's there wrong are, with you? There are a few people who are starting to talk about yeah. it and starting to talk about the fact that, you know, for people with histories of trauma, meditation can be an absolute, like, 
I mean, it's just a black hole. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, yeah, there, I've, I've been starting to hear people talking about this, but I, I think this is, it's such an incredibly important thing of like, you know, again, and then the message again, that sort of that patriarchal, you know, you know, like mind over matter perspective Mm -hmm. of, you know, even like just meditation culture of like, well, if you can't meditate, that's your problem. There's something wrong with you. We're doing it wrong. Yeah. We're doing it wrong. And it's like, no, if I sit and I meditate, all the stuff comes up. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I think it's like, it's one thing to be somebody where, you know, you're, I don't know, like, like the stuff comes up and it's sort of like you process it, but, but somebody does not have, a, have extreme trauma or CP, CPT, CPTSD, mm-hmm. you know, it's just such a completely different reality than it is for somebody when every time you get quiet, like it's sort of like, it's, I, I don't know. I have this image of one of those cartoons where it's like they open the box or they open the door and all the screaming monsters are coming out. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. And so the body will, again, because the body has an innate intelligence to keep you safe, right? So the body is designed to process trauma, but we don't allow it to happen because we don't feel our feelings because we've been taught not to feel our feelings and we don't want to feel the negative sensations. So we push everything down. So if you don't have the skill set to be in your body and handle your trauma, your body won't let you do it. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't understand that. So I was like, why can't I meditate? I don't understand. Everyone talks about how beneficial it is. Like I'm desperate to be trying to do it. Right. But I was still missing that being in my physical body aspect. I still did not feel good. And so that I only in the last year and a half have been in my physical body for the first time in this life because mm. I did that trauma informed breathwork training. And that was the pinnacle of my intuition kept saying, you need to do this training. And I was like, I'm not doing another training. I've done so many trainings in the past 10 years. I'm kind of done. I need a break. And it was like, no, you need to do this training. It's the last missing puzzle piece. You're still not in your body. But I didn't know that, right? I was still doing everything in my mind and it wasn't landing. And it was so frustrating because I'm doing all of the things. Why am I, why am I still plateauing? Why am I still not getting to this level I think I should be at? Right. Again, assigning a judgment to it, to my healing, not understanding that healing is not linear that you can't heal on your own. So even though I had made it to a functional doctor, I still was not trusting her to heal me because of medical trauma. Because again, she wasn't living in my body. I'm the expert of my body. And and she kind of sometimes would dismiss some things that I would say. And so there was not this safety of being in my body, of trusting someone to support the process. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. my body was like this, you need to do this because you need to learn how to be in your body. Mm-hmm. You need to learn to trust somebody to hold safe space for you so that you can fully begin to heal. So even though I thought I had done all the healing, right? Oh, well, here's my diploma on the wall. Here's another certification. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't do it until I did that training. That was the first time in this life that I allowed someone to hold space for me, mm. that I allowed someone to support me in my healing, yeah. that I allowed myself to be back in my body. Well, and I think that it makes sense in terms of the journey for you that you had to go through giving away your power, mm-hmm. reclaiming your power, mm-hmm. and really sitting with your own journey and with your own process. And then once you had a degree of personal sovereignty, mm-hmm. then being able to say, I'm willing to accept support. I mm-hmm. am willing to... I, I'm open to being, I'm, I'm open to the possibility I could be vulnerable, that yeah. I could allow this support. 
But it makes a lot of sense to me that, that in terms of your journey, you, you, that, that this was the journey to be able to say, yes, I'm willing. And yeah. what a blessing and what an amazing thing to be able to reach the, like to be in your body in your forties, to be able to say yes to help. Because I think, I mean, we, it feels to me like, I mean, we've been kicking this can down the road as a species for thousands of years now. Mm -hmm. And, and like, I mean, I would really wonder just like how many of us incarnate and never even experience what it's like to be in our body exactly for a lifetime upon lifetime so i sort of am like 40 you're in your body what an <laughs> absolute victory like <laughs> you know it just and and i think about you know as you're talking also you said something earlier that i just want to draw back out because it was just such a jewel where you were talking about how when you didn't want to be in your body, you were using breath work as a mechanism to not be in your body. And yeah. I had mentioned to you that breath work was the very first modality I trained in. Mm -hmm. And I remember vividly having a client who would come to me and I'm, you know, fairly regularly, like as a regular breath work client, it would work with me. And I remember so vividly being aware of how much his and his indoctrination, like he had grown up in a very like, um, of, uh, Christian, the body is evil, spirit mm -hmm. is good mm -hmm. perspective. But it was so fascinating to me. I could see, like, I was really understanding, like, no, this is about integration. This is about being fully, like, understanding what the body truly is and leaning into the body, not, not trying to escape it. But it was because it's always easier to see it with somebody other than ourselves. <laughs> but I could so clearly see how he was using breath work to try to get out, like to try to escape the body mm -hmm. and to mm -hmm. try to transcend. Like it was sort of, you know, and, and so I just love how you called that out where you were like, yeah, it's kind of using breath work as a way to escape. And then amazingly, the same vehicle that you had been using to sort of escape became the vehicle that, and I love that it was your, that your, it's your breath that led you into your body. Cause yeah. I, I mean, breath work is one of my, one of my first loves. I absolutely <laughs> adore it. So actually that kind of leads to the question of breath work mm -hmm. and, you know, what does it, and I guess I'm sort of thinking like, what does an embodied breath work practice look like? for everybody, it can be different, right? So what, yeah. and my practice is different every day mm -hmm. and I'm okay with that, right? Where in the past, I would try to control it, that it had to look the same every time I needed to have the same, you know, the same thing happen, the same experience. And I, through the training, I, I specifically signed up for this training because it was trauma informed. And because I am a person that has had a lot of big T trauma, mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to help people in a way that did not create more trauma. Mm -hmm. So to be embodied in breathwork is the first is to establish safety. Yeah. So I do only virtual sessions for the most part mm -hmm. because the safety is kind of already established. You're in your space. I'm in mine, right? So you're, you're in a familiar environment. You can feel safe. You're either on your bed, on your couch, you know, laying down, sitting up, whatever that may be. I also use certain music in each session because sound is healing mm -hmm. and the body resp responds to sound in certain ways. So I'll use binaural beats. I'll use Hertz music frequencies. Mm -hmm. I'll use movement because movement gets stuck energy moving. Mm -hmm. And so movement 
and sound, you can make sound yourself. So I'll encourage if I feel as I'm doing a session, if I, I'll get a sensation in my throat, like a, a rock in my throat, I know that person needs to make sound. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So just like how you smelled mold on me, I'm able to use my intuitive skills as well. And I'll, I'll make the sound for them, right? So it helps them to feel more comfortable in that I'm not alone in this process. So it's, it's a, there is no agenda. I go into it. My my main concern for every session is that everyone feels seen, heard, and believed. They feel supported, that they know that they're not alone and that I'm there on the journey with them, right? And so what is so incredible to me and that I've experienced myself and that I see every time I facilitate is that just by breathing and being in the body, so much can occur. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's amazing. And when I was doing breath work before I was doing my Kundalini practice and there was an agenda, right. Mm -hmm. And there was structure Mm -hmm. and it had to be done a certain way. And Mm -hmm. if you didn't do it that way, again, you were doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. And so my way is again, I bring in mother earth. I bring in a little bit of astrology, right? Like we have the full moon on Sunday. So I will, I'll pull an Oracle card and I'll, I'll make the session about that. I have certain playlists that when I feel called to play, Hey, we're going to do a releasing theme. We're good. So it's different every single time. And I think that's important because one, so it keeps it fresh, but also because it allows people to be curious mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of what could be. So when in the hour sessions is we do a half hour of breath work and then the last half hours, we'll talk about what's going on, right? So I'm feeling this, this is really affecting me. And I'll just make invitations. Hey, this is a suggestion of something I tried. Maybe you want to try this. But what's powerful about that is when you start with breath, (laughs) the mind quiets and the body's intelligence takes over and that lingers throughout, even in integration, Mm -hmm. where you're more receptive to what will be, will come through or what will be suggested to you. And so that is what's so powerful to me about breath is that it allows you to then be open to what may come, to be open to differences, to possibilities, to changing belief systems, to changing things up, to creating boundaries. I think that especially when you're highly sensitive and empathic, it, it can be really difficult to not be a people pleaser. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you put yourself last. Yeah. And so in my sessions, I try to let each participant know that I'm putting them first mm-hmm. and that it's okay for them to put themselves first. That is their time. This is their time. Yeah. And however they choose to use it, that's it's okay. Right. So like, if you want to just scream the whole session, if you, you know, if you want to just go to sleep, I mean, whatever, whatever happens, it's all welcome and it's all okay because that's what you needed from that session. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's when that is embodying breathwork. When you are open and you don't assign judgment to what comes up. You just allow it to unfold without expectation, without an agenda, without, you know, worrying about what anybody else thinks. That I feel is when you really can embody the practice and the, the magic that can come through with it. Mm, mm. So I can't believe how quickly the time is going in this conversation. <laughs> it has been such a rich conversation and just absolutely amazing. And I'm thinking before we run out of time, I would love to talk about like, where do we begin? You know, sort of like as somebody clearly who has been on an amazing journey and it sounds like things are a lot better now than mm-hmm. they were even a couple years ago for you. 
I'm wondering, like, if for the listeners who are in the place that you are in, the migraine, constant migraines, maybe nosebleeds, stomach aches, brain fog, fatigue, or just that empathic distress and overwhelm, where do you, you know, what, if you could, you were able to go back to the Amy of 10 years ago, mm-hmm. what would you, what, what baby steps would you give her? What would you tell, what would you encourage her to do? Like what guidance would you give her? The first thing I would encourage her would be that listen to that gut instinct. Listen to that little voice that mm-hmm. you were told was wrong for so long. Yeah. I think that's the most important part because you and I both know that our journeys are going to be different than somebody else's. And that I would never tell somebody do exactly what I did, right? Because we're all different. We all have unique gifts. We all have unique challenges. We all deal with things in a certain way. I think there are... So there are some strong suggestions that I make, and that is to get outside every day. Mm-hmm. That is to to take some deep breaths, right? Even if you don't do a breathwork session, just to take some deep breaths while you're outside to appreciate the value of what is there, to appreciate the gifts that are around you that you did not create, right? Like this was all created by something bigger than you. And that also... Sorry, the dog talks a little upset. So yes. she was, she was, she was chiming in that she was all for that. She yeah. was like, "Yes, get outside. I want to get outside." Too. She was like, "She's like outside, outside. Yeah, I know. You're she's like, take me oh, outside, outside. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, when we're done, when we're done, not now. She's yeah. like, "Oh, we're going now. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I would also encourage people just to be mindful of what you're ingesting. So mm-hmm. whether that's visually, right? So like mm-hmm. social media, the news, violence but also what you're putting in and on your body. Yes. Eliminating toxins, right? So the average woman, I think, puts 150 toxic chemicals on her body before she leaves the house. Oh, oh. Yeah. So Mm. it's really important to support your body because your body was designed to heal, Mm -hmm. but it it was designed to heal with not as many toxins as we have right now right. in the world that we live in. And it's only going to get worse, right? Yeah. So to support your body as best that you can. So, you know, I have hard and fast rules. Do I expect everybody to have them? No, Mm-mm. but I encourage people to look into that because it is important. And so if I'm going to support my body, I'm going to do all the things I can so that my body can, can keep bringing itself back into a balanced state as it was intended to do, right? So I prioritize my sleep. Sleep is really important to me. I know if I don't sleep or if I don't get good sleep, I don't function well. So yeah, I do go to bed at nine o'clock every night. I, you know, I, I just do that because I feel better when I do and I'm okay with that. Yeah, It doesn't bother me anymore. So I think it's also really important to remember that you get to choose what's best for you. Yes. You get to choose what is best for you. Mm-hmm. That is such an incredible, and that your mileage may vary. That, yeah. you know, in the same way that nobody has the same, you know, astrological chart, nobody has the same exact DNA expression. You know, mm-hmm. some of us, some of us are sensitive to one thing, some of us are sensitive to other things. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm a very strong advocate for giving up sugar. Yes. Because I think that it is, it is, I mean, I think it is generally pretty lethal for anybody. It's a drug. But, <laughs> but different people have different levels of distress from it. Mm-hmm. And who am I to say, if you're not experiencing any distress from it, it's not my job to say, this is bad for you. You should stop eating it. Because 
I don't know. I mean, it, it just, it really is so individual. And I think, and I think so much of it does really come back to trusting our gut. Mm -hmm. So before we jump off, I'm, I'm thinking that what I was thinking, I've sort of, I was thinking about possible two directions to go in and I'll let you choose which one you want to want to take. The first direction I was thinking about was actually like just sharing a, a sort of a really simple breath exercise that we can all use for claiming embodiment. But then the other thing I was really thinking of is if you, if you could go back in time as the wiser adult, like self-actualized Amy that you are now and talk to that really struggling, like, I don't know, like somewhere in her late teens, early twenties, Amy, what, what does she need to hear? What would you tell her? So which one of those like breath exercise or <laughs> the message, the, the soul message that, think, that your younger self needed to hear? I think I'm going to go with this soul message because I think this is something that everybody needs to hear. Yeah. You're not broken. You're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. There is an innate wisdom in your body. It is trying to help you. It is only trying to help you. It is trying to bring you back into a balanced, healthy state and, and to stop listening to what everybody else has to say about it. Mm, Just mm. to trust that innate wisdom. So trust mm-hmm. your innate wisdom. Mm-hmm. Trust your body. Trust the messages your body is giving you. You're not broken. Mm-hmm. There is wisdom within you. Yeah. Ah, Amy, this conversation has been so rich and just, I, I could talk with you for hours (laughs) and I, and I'm so glad that you have found a path that is bringing you to being able to thrive and share your gifts with the world, which leads me to my next question, which is, so how do you, how can people reach you? How can they access the gifts that you are sharing with the world? Thank you. So they can go to my website. It's called Mind, Body, Spirit, Breath. And they, they can see that, you know, what it entails with the sessions. We do group, group breath every Friday, 1230 Eastern Standard Pacific time. And there's also an opportunity to do individual sessions with me if they don't want to do a group session. Also, as you found me on YouTube, that's Amy the Amateur Herbalist. And that's the same name, Amy, the amateur herbalist on Facebook. I provide a lot of information about energy medicine, plant medicine, to peas, you out into the garden, I show you what's going on, what I'm growing medicinally, what I'm growing for food, canning, fermenting, all of that. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. And you guys, if you're listening and you're not near your computer, all of the links are going to be in the show notes. So you can come back over and check that out. Amy, thank you so much for being with me today. This has really been a delight. Thanks, Jennifer. I appreciate it. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to empathicmasteryshow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. 
Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.